chapter 5. Let's uh, read verses 1 through 11. It says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Gennesaret. Let me just stop there and make uh, say something here. The lake Gennesaret is the lake, is Galilee. If, you, if you'll search through the scriptures, you'll find that Galilee has about three or four different names in the Bible. It's called Lake Tiberias. It's called Galilee. Um, I'm not sure there's others, but but anyway, there's three or four different names. And Gennesaret is just a city, small city, on the northeast shore of Galilee. Tiberias is another city on the shore of Galilee. So so when he says, you know, the lake Gennesaret just means that he was in Gennesaret at the lake there. Um, but it's the same same sea, Galilee. Uh, and of course, Adam, which we saw talked about last week, I think it was last week, or the week before, is on the northeast shore of Galilee. And Genesaret's on the northwest shore. Anyway, so, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were going out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of them, which was Simon's, which would be Peter, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned with their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. Who was the partners with Simon and Andrew? James and John. It was James and John. So anyway, so when verse eight, when Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." 
For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. So was also James the son, and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook, of course, Peter and John, Andrew and James and John, they forsook all and followed him. So this message is, is uh, uh, requirements for, accept, or, or for effective service. Look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have to open your word. And we thank you, Father, that we have the word of God uh, preserved for us, passed down through uh, time and, and preserved for us. And we have it in our own language and that we can study and, and um, that we can know the truth. And the truth can set us free. So, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today, encourage us and challenge us, bring conviction where conviction is needed. May the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified, lifted up, and exalted in our midst. And may we be drawn to him, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we heard, uh, and we had a you know, good, I thought there was some uh, really good Sunday school lesson this morning, but, uh, and we heard about how, even in the Old Testament times, there were many who professed to worship God. You know, they, especially in Israel, uh, after Jeroboam and Jeroboam, we know, built the, two, the calf at Bethel and the other at Dan. And, and, and though they claimed to worship the true God, yet they had these places which God had not appointed for worship. Uh, so it was really a false worship. And yet they claimed to serve God. You know, a lot of people claim to serve God. You know, Timothy tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that uh, there's a, they have a form of God, but deny the power thereof. A lot of people have a form of worship, some form of worship. They would say they worship the true God, but in reality, it's false worship. It's not worship, or it's not service that pleases the Lord. It's worship in self-will really is what it is. Uh, just as Jeroboam, that was worship in self-will. God said, you're to worship at my tabernacle. which is, It was a temple then at Jerusalem. That's the appointed place. Um, you know, and God has appointed a place for us today where we are to meet together as a church. We're to assemble together. Uh, and, 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 there, and there's... And there's, a, there's some requirements that God gives for effective service. If we're going to serve, and self has no place in it. Self has no place in the service of God. Except the fact that we just yield ourselves to him. And so we'll see that this morning. I have seven, seven things I want to mention. Uh, first of all, there needs to be an acknowledgement. If you notice in verse 5, it says, and Simon answered, of course, Jesus was preaching to the people out of Peter's boat. And then he says, launch out. And, and Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and taken nothing. Uh, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. So first thing that we see here is the acknowledgement. The word to acknowledge means to admit, to agree. To recognize the truth or the fact of. And we need to acknowledge our inability without divine power to please or to accomplish anything of eternal value. You know, 
humanity can do great things in the eyes of man. I mean, we've sent men to the moon. Uh, we have we have come up with you know ways that we can perform surgery, you know, and and man's still working on trying to figure out how he can make life. He's still working on that one. But there's only one that can give life, and that's God. And they have, they have come up with all ways, all kinds of ways medically to keep life going. And we have a lot of people living that years ago would be dead if it wouldn't be for. And, and there's, you know, some of that is good and some of it's not so good. Uh, so, so man can accomplish great things in his humanity, but, but really none of it has eternal value. And we must acknowledge our, that, that we don't have uh, the ability or, or that we can't, without divine help, accomplish anything that has eternal value. When Solomon came to the throne in 1 Kings chapter 3, in 1 Kings chapter 3, when he came to the throne, you know, Solomon was con considered the, the wisest man that ever lived. Uh, some have questioned his sanity about that with, you know, 700 wives. Well, it wasn't the wives, it was the mother-in-laws. But anyway, uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 5, but when Solomon came to the throne, and, 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 he, and he, he makes this statement in, in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verses 5 through 10. He says, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto my servant David, my father, great mercy, according to the walk before thee in truth and righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee, and thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. See, what's Solomon saying here? You know, he's not, you know, he said, I'm just like a little child. Now, he wasn't a child. Physically, he was not a child. He's a grown man. He's probably 30, 40 years old. I don't know for sure, but uh, you know, we could probably find, figure that out. But, but he's a grown man. He's been taught by his father, who was the king of Israel, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. And, and so when it comes to, is made king, he asked the Lord, he said, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to judge it. I need understanding. I need wisdom that comes from you. And, and God gave him that. He was the wisest king that Israel ever had. You know, I read that story about, remember the two harlots that came to him. And the one had laid on her child at night. They lived in the same house. Laid on her child and, and died. And, and so she switched the children during the night and claimed that the dead one was the other ladies and that the live one was her. And so they come to this Solomon with this argument. Now, who would have ever thought, go get a sword and prepare to divide the living child, that that would reveal the real mother? But Solomon did. Where did he get that wisdom? It came from God. You see... There is nothing in us and we need to acknowledge and admit there's nothing in us 
without God's help, without the wisdom of God, to accomplish anything of eternal value. John 6, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. John 15, 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And along with that, Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know, God's the one that gives us safety, not our military might. Our nation is crumbling, not because we're weaker militarily. That's just becoming a fruit of our sin against God. You know, wise people would not drop their borders. I mean, that's rocket. You know, that's not rocket science. Um, no, safety is of the Lord. You know, God told Israel not to not to multiply horses, because horses are not going to give you safety. I will. I will. You can go to the New Testament, Romans seven eighteen. Paul said this: For I know that in me, that is in my flesh. Now let me stop and say something. Paul was the most educated of all the apostles. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the doctor of the law in Jerusalem. He could quote the poets. He knew, most commentators say he probably knew five or six different languages. He was a very learned man. But he said, I know this, that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You know, he talked about in Galatians about all that, that, that being raised a Pharisee of Pharisees. He said, I count it all but dung. That I may win Christ. Jeremiah 10.23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, there's nothing wrong with education. Education can be a wonderful tool. John Rice, I think it was John Rice, was credited with a statement that education uh, is a wonderful tool but a terrible master. And we've got a lot of guys that education is their master. And they measure everything by their education and not by the divine truth, the word of God. First um, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we pre preach Christ crucified, under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. But under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, we, we need God's wisdom. We need God's power. 
We can't do it on ourselves. You know, this this is not, and, and as you think about this context here in Luke chapter 5, this is not the only time that experienced fishermen, remember, Jesus is not a fisherman. He's a carpenter. What's he know about fishing? That may have been in the back of Peter's mind. I don't know. It's possible. What's this guy know about fishing? He's a carpenter. But this is not the first time experienced fishermen caught nothing. John chapter 21 tells the same thing. You know, they after after um, the crucifixion, Peter says, I'm going back fishing. And all the rest went with him. Fished all night. Caught nothing. And in the morning, you see somebody on the shore, and he says to them, Children, have you any meat? And I'm sure they hated to say, no. Then he says, cast on the right side. And then he said, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And they caught a great multitude. You see, without the Lord, without, without God, Israel is, would have been destroyed at the Red Sea. Without God, they'd have starved in the wilderness without the manna. Without God, they would not have been able to cross the Jordan River. Without God, they would not have been able to conquer Jericho. In fact, AI proves that. Without God, they lost at Jericho, at AI. And, you know, without God, we cannot be saved, nor can we bring forth fruit that pleases and honors him. You know, Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So there has to be first acknowledgement. We have to recognize the truth or fact that that we cannot, without divine power, accomplish anything that pleases and honors him or save ourselves. Secondly, there must be agreement with God. Notice verse 5 again says, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. So there needs to be agreement with the Lord. Nevertheless, you know, again, he's Peter and and, and Andrew and James and John are experienced fishermen, and, and they fished all night, and they didn't, they didn't catch anything. But he says, but, you know, well, since you said so, we'll, we'll, we'll throw out the net. At your word, we'll do it. And again, if we're going to serve God effectively, we have to agree with God. It's his church. It's his program. It's his word. How many of you guys, don't raise your hands, when you buy something and it requires assembly, do you read the instructions? Uh, that's not a manly thing to do, is it? Read the instructions. I don't know how to put this together. And you end up with extra parts. Sometimes they send extra parts, but, you know. Um, no, we're supposed to read the instructions. 
kind of reminds me of the story I heard about. Actually, it wasn't a story. I, I experienced this. Teacher in school one time gave us a surprise quiz. And there was directions at the top, just one sentence. Well, I knew the answers, and I started answering the questions. Typical, proud, know what the answers are, you know. I don't read the directions. You know what the, the directions were? Read all questions before you answer any questions. The last question was, do not answer any questions. So, you know, there's lots of students filling in these answers. And there's a few of us that were just put their pencils down, turned the papers over, and just sat there. You know, I kind of looked around and I thought, don't they know the answers to the questions? <laughs> yeah, they did. No, we're supposed to agree with God. We're supposed to follow the manual that he has given us, so to speak. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 2. And it gives the illustration here of a soldier. Second Timothy 2, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So, when, you know, when a soldier um, is, is simply to take instructions from headquarters, from the commander. He doesn't have, he, can't, he doesn't just do his own thing. He's to follow instructions. He's not to entangle himself with the affairs of this life, but he's simply to please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And likewise, an athlete, verse 5, says, if a man also strive for masteries for the victory crown, you know, Paul was probably here making reference to the, the Greek Olympics that they had in those days, and, and they, would, they would get a, uh, receive a, a crown, it was a wreath, basically, uh, for, for winning, but they had to follow all the rules to even qualify. It didn't matter if you were the best athlete or not. You know, Jim Thorpe was, was, was called the greatest athlete of the 20th century. And he won several gold medals. I think it was like five or six in one of the Olympics back in the 30s or 40s. I can't remember exactly what it was. But anyway, but later on it was found he was disqualified and his medals were taken away because he played professional baseball for payment. So God has given us the instructions in his word He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, Second Peter tells us, uh, about life and godliness, uh, about how to live our life to please and honor him, and we're to follow his word. We're to agree with him. Like I've said many times, you know, a lot of people nowadays, they just think, well, you know, yeah, I, I trust the Lord my Savior, but, you know, and they just, they just live life how they think they want to live it. The Lord told Moses, Hebrews 8, 5 tells us, The Lord told Moses that see thou, thou buildest it after the pattern that I showed thee in the mind. He was talking about the tabernacle. God gave explicit instructions 
details about the building of the tabernacle and the making of the, the lamp and the laver and the lava or whatever you want to call it, laver or lava, uh, and, and the brazen altar and, and, and the, 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 the cherubims and all the things and the, and the curtains. He gave detailed instructions about how that thing was to be constructed, what was to be used, the kind of materials that were to be used in it, the kind of offerings that were to be brought. All those things, details. Do you not think that God isn't interested in the details of your life? He is. He even knows the hairs of your head. He's that interested in your life. And he knows what's best. And so we need to, we need to search the scriptures and align our lives to them. Brother Forney was talking about one of, I guess it was uh, Saturday after the banquet, about cross-culture evangelism. And I've often said this, the Bible has its own culture. You know, it, it is relevant to any culture. You know, if there's a culture, you know, there are some things in culture that do not contradict the word of God, and that's fine. They, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but... But anything that contradicts the word of God, I don't care what the culture is, it's to be brought into conformity to the, to the word of God. So, we must agree with God. We must agree with God. Thirdly, I'm going to start right here. I'm running. Uh, thirdly, there, there's also, we see here, is a, a, a acknowledgement, agreement, Accomplishment. Notice verses six and seven. Now, and when they had done this done, so they acknowledged they, their inability. They agreed with the Lord to cast out in it. When they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they would come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. So there was accomplishment. Uh, they they did what the Lord said. They obeyed the Lord. And they saw a, a fruit for their labor. You know, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree that planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. Go to John chapter 15 again. I quoted verse 5 there, where he said, Without me you can do nothing. But he goes on in John 15, in verse 6, he says, If a man abide not in me, his cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Here is my God, Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. <clears throat> Remember in the parable of the sower, when he talked about the, the seed that, that was cast on the good ground and it brought forth fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100. You know, if we will... If we will acknowledge our need and agree with God 
there's going to be some fruit. There's going to be some fruit. God will bring forth fruit. God's word will not return void. It may not be massive and impressive to the eyes of the world. Oh, I touched on that in Sunday school this morning, and I, and I thought of this saying, all that glitters is not gold. There's a lot of things that are going on in, 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 in our world, in our, in, our, in our country, in our nation, uh, uh, spiritual things, you might call them, that look oppressive. But when you really analyze them, they're not that impressive. Like one, I heard one evangelist say one time, you know, a lot of fire is false fire. <laughs> a lot of fire is false fire. I mean, these, these TV evangelists can get great crowds. Does that mean it's right? No. But there will be some fruit. There will be some fruit. So they saw uh, great accomplishments. Then fourthly, there needs to be a true assessment of self. Notice in verse 8, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. A true assessment or a true evaluation of self. We need to recognize who we really are. And I, and I have discovered that the more you walk with God, the closer you get in your relationship with God, and the more you're going to realize who you really are. That you really aren't anything. Peter here says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, Peter up to this point probably thought he was pretty good at fishing. That he was a pretty wise man. He was probably pretty highly esteemed in Capernaum as a fisherman. pretty influential person in that town until he met the Lord John the Baptist was considered uh, Jesus said he was the greatest man born a woman but John said this he must increase I must decrease Job was considered a righteous uh, an upright a righteous man one that feared God and eschewed evil yet Job said I am a worm and no man I abhor myself in dust and ashes when the Lord revealed himself to him. Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Paul, who was the, the great apostle Paul, you know, said, Oh, wretched man. And, and he makes that statement after he's saved, not before, after he's saved. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He, he told Timothy, I am the chief of sinners. Isaiah prophesying to the nation of Israel and and telling them how wicked they are, and then he sees the Lord in chapter 6, and he says, Woe is me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, until we realize what we are, what we really are, without God, we won't accomplish much for the Lord. Somebody said, I was never of any use, until I found out that God didn't intend for me to be a great man. 
You know, you need to see yourself, it's sort of like see yourself as God sees you. You are an ugly caterpillar. Caterpillars are ugly. But when they go through that, what science calls metamorphosis, what comes out? A beautiful butterfly. That's a picture of salvation. God takes a wicked sinner, vile sinner, and can transform them into a saint. So we need to have a true assessment of self. True assessment of self. Then fifthly, there's astonishment. Notice in verse 9 it says, For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. Again, you know, you see here, these are experienced fishermen. I'm sure they had nights of great catches. But like, like the, the people, I think it was at Capernaum, Capernaum they said, we never saw it on this fashion. We never seen it like this before. And, and they were amazed. They were astonished. You know, if, if, if you will acknowledge your need and, 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 and realize your need of the Lord and, and agree with Him and, and have a true assessment of self, you may be amazed at what God can do in your life. In Acts chapter 4, you remember Peter and John were brought before the Sanhedrin for preaching. And it says they took knowledge of them. First it says they were unlearned and educated men, but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, they were amazed at the things that these guys were saying. This is coming from, these weren't people that or men that had been to Jerusalem and had been taught the doctrines of the Old Testament and the law of the Old Testament, and yet they're quoting him, and they're, they're talking about how Jesus is a fulfillment of all these things, and they're saying, these are unlearned men. Now, if Paul would have said that, they maybe would have understood. But here's Peter and John, who, they weren't educated, saying it. And they were amazed. You know, God can take a drunk and make him dry. Pervert and make him straight. Make the shy to speak. And the world will say, hmm, that's kind of amazing. You know, Paul, when after Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, and he tried to join himself to the church at Jerusalem, they were all afraid. Why? Because they had heard. And they were amazed. You know, they, they were amazed at the, th the change in Paul's life. Barnabas was the one that actually convinced them, no, he's not a persecutor anymore. You can trust him. And he brought him to the church of Jerusalem. So there was astonishment. Astonishment. Thirdly, or fifthly, or number six, uh, he gives them an assignment in uh, verse uh, verse ten. 
And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. So after, you know, they, they, they acknowledge their, their inability and, you know, they have a true assessment of self. They agree with his word and, and, and they're amazed at what he has done. And he gives them an assignment. You know, again, these are, you know, one commentator said this, you know, God chooses people to serve him that are busy. There's no place for lazy people in the work of God. Now these were people. These were men that were busy. They they were occupied with making a living, and and here he gives them an assignment. And henceforth, thou shalt catch men. Catch men. And of course, he gives them explicit instructions about how to catch men. Here's the good example of how to catch men. Notice, go back again to verse uh, verse six. It says, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. That word enclosed there means to hem in. To hem in. You know, this kind of goes along with agreeing with the word of God here. But, but again, uh, God's giving the assignment, and, and he, just like they were to, to catch fish, by casting out a net and enclosing them or hand them in, they are to catch men. Now, when we think of fishing today, we take a fishing rod usually, and we put a bait on the end of it that looks very attractive and very tasty. And we throw it out in the water and hope they're deceived into taking it. Hope that they're, they're deceived into thinking there's a good meal for you. That's how we fish. That's how we think of fishing. That's not the idea here. No. You would cast a net and you would enclose them or hem them in. My brother used to take a minnow net. He'd catch, catch minnows and he'd go out into the little stream and he'd put that minnow net in the water and he'd cry those minnows into a corner, so to speak. So he'd catch them in the net. We find an example of this in John chapter 4 when Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman. And, and he does several things here in John chapter 4. He, he hems her in, so to speak. In other words, he makes her see herself as she really is, a sinner uh, uh, in need, and then that he is the only answer to her sin problem. John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband. What's he doing? He's revealing to her who she really is. Go call thy husband. And come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that sayest thou truly. So he's pointing out to her, or revealing to her, getting her to see for herself that she's in need over her sin. She's in sin. She's a sinner and wicked in the sight of God. She, her life is an offense to God. And, of course, that he is the answer. Verse 25 says, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So I'm the answer to your sin problem. 
I'm the Savior who can take away your sin. So he, he really put, pushed her into a corner to make her realize that she needed a Savior with his words. You know, this modern idea that we're to attract men with gifts and gimmicks You know, I've heard of you know churches giving away very expensive cameras to having the pastor or somebody you know cut his tie or or pull the bus with his teeth or you know all kinds of things to attract people. The old saying is, "What you win them with, you have to keep them with too." Sooner or later, the attractions wear off. No. We need to hem them in with the gospel. He gives them an assignment. We are to catch men. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. But then notice, lastly, it says in verse 11, When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Again, if we're going to serve God acceptably, we have to forsake all. We have, there has to be abandonment. That, that kind of sounds almost reckless. Now think about what James and John, I believe it's James and John and Peter and Andrew here just did. They've left their occupation. You know, the other, one of the other Gospels tells us that James and John left their nets with their father father and Zebedee and followed Jesus. You know, these, of course, became the, the pastoral staff at the church at Jerusalem. Uh, you know, not all, not all of us are going to abandon, forsake our jobs, but we need, to, we need to put God first. That's the idea. God comes before our employment. God comes before our families, even. These were married men. They had families. We know Peter Peter was married. He had a wife. He had a mother-in-law. You know, of course, you wouldn't have a wife. You, didn't have, you wouldn't have a mother-in-law without a wife, and nobody would you know, want a mother-in-law without a wife. So, um, so we know he had family. These men had families. They had to feed them. But they forsook their occupations. They put God first. Go to, to, well, let's go to Matthew chapter 16 first. Matthew chapter 16. You know, how many times do you hear people saying, uh, or, or people will talk about, well, you know, I moved here for a good job. There's not a church there. And it wasn't that they didn't have a job. They wanted a better job or better paying job, but there's no church there. No, God should have first place. God should have first priority. Let God take care of your place of employment. Matthew chapter 16. Um, verse 24. 
Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life and shall lose it, uh, shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, you can, you can, you can, uh, 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 forsake God's will, seeking the things of this old, this old world, thinking you can, thinking they're justifying it by thinking you can use those things to please the Lord. But if you go out of God's will to do it, it's going to come to naught. It's going to come to naught. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Again. <clears throat> parallel passage here. Luke 14. Verse 25. There went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, father and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. So th there has to be a willingness to forsake all. Ambitions, employment, family relationships. Think about Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldees, going out, not knowing whither he went. Now, Abraham struggled with that. We know that because he took Nahor with him, his father. Was it Nahor? Yeah. Um, or was it? Anyway. Anyway, he took his father with him. No, it was terror. Terror, and you know, you know what terror means? Delay. And, it w and he, he did leave Ur of the Chaldees, but he took terror's father with him. But he never continued on to a Canaan land until Terah died. What was that? He was struggling with breaking ties and leaving his family relationships to completely follow the Lord. And he never got to the land God promised until he did, finally. He never received the promises until he did finally break those relationships. Now, God's not telling us that we need to divorce our wives and, you know, no. No, but we need to love him more than our wives, than our husbands, than our children. We cannot, we cannot rightly love or, uh, our, our, our family relationships until we first love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. Many a person has said, just like the children of Israel. What's going to happen to my children? That's what Israel said. Our children will be prey for those giants in the land. Sad thing is, the parents died in the wilderness, and God took the children into the land. See, forsake all for the Lord and let God let God use you to take care of your children. 
That's really what it comes down to. So we're going to serve God acceptably. You know, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Are we willing to abandon or forsake all to follow him? Are we in agreement with his word? Are we following his word? Might God help us to serve him acceptably?